Lord, we pray that we, your people, who your gifts unnumbered claim, through the sharing of your blessings, may bring glory to your name. Amen. You may be seated for our message today. We are talking about rich generosity this month as, as we're coming close to the end of our 2018 year of discipleship. In his message last weekend, Vicar Wolf uh, considered some of the things that rich generosity reminds us of, such as the fact that, that God's generosity towards us is, is so rich indeed, and that God is the owner of all things, and we are simply stewards or managers of that which he entrusts to our care. The vicar reminded us that Jesus was the first one who said it's more blessed to give than to receive, and that others are inspired by our generosity. To that list, I would like to add another Reminder, not specific to rich generosity, but, but one that applies to every situation in our lives, and, and that is simply this. What God tells us in his word is always true, and what he instructs us to do is always for our benefit. I mention that today because uh, there are certain topics where it seems as if, well, God wants something from us. You know what? God never really wants anything from us. He has so much that he wants for us. Everything he instructs us to do is always for our benefit. So keep that in mind, please, as we, uh, as we dive into today's sermon on rich generosity, that it teaches us. This is uh, really the, the next step in a logical progression for our sermon series. Uh, first, we think about things that we already have known, but, but maybe we haven't really thought about them that much for a while. Today, hopefully anyway, we will uh, endeavor to learn something new. And next week, Pastor Kaiser will consider how rich generosity empowers us for Christ-like living. Now, rich generosity can teach us at least four important life lessons, and those are uh, printed for you in your sermon outline. What I'm going to do today is we're actually going to go through the outline twice. The first time, we're just going to kind of zip through it to, uh, to lay the groundwork, and then we're going to go back to the top and spend a little more time uh, fleshing some of those things out for us. So we'll start with the fact that rich generosity teaches us how to find contentment. That's a pretty elusive thing for us, isn't it? How great it is when we, when we have moments of contentment. And rich generosity can help with that. Last week we heard how Jesus was rich, but for our sakes became poor so that we might be rich. What that means is that Jesus found contentment not in the places where we tend to look for it, but Jesus found contentment through sacrifice and service. He, he was not content to be in heaven without us. So he came here to pay the price and pave the way for us to join him there. From Jesus, we learn that contentment comes not from having more, but 
from serving more. That lesson is followed by one on the meaning of sacrifice. And the best way to know what sacrifice is, is to make sacrifices ourselves. Now, any sacrifice that we make is, is prompted by, but can never come close to the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. But every sacrifice we make can help us to appreciate his sacrifice all the more. And here's the connection between uh, sacrifice and, and rich generosity. What we are willing to give is usually determined by what we are willing to give up or to sacrifice. And all of this has to do with trust in God, trust in his promises to us and also in his motivation for asking us to make sacrifices for him. Now, of course, we have no ability on our own to trust God for anything, but through his gracious work in our lives, our trust in him can be strengthened as we take baby steps in learning how to trust him more, relying on him. And then eventually, we are able to take larger and longer leaps of faith. For example, have you ever taught a, a young child to jump into a swimming pool? By the way, that little guy is three years old today. The big party over in DeWitt later on this afternoon. But what do you do when you're going to teach them to jump into a swimming pool? Well, the first thing you do is you get into the water. And then you stand right next to the edge. And you put out your arms and, and you coax them to jump to you. And after, after he takes that little baby step, what's next? Well, you, you back up a little. You repeat the process. You back up a little more and a little more until finally he can take a big leap of faith as you're way, at least it seems that way, way back there. But in order for that to happen, two things have to take place. Number one, he has to take that baby step. He has to take a risk and, and to do it several times. And you have to catch him every time. Well, that's the way God teaches us to trust him more and more. Each time we take a risk, and sometimes maybe it's a little bigger risk than the time before, and every time we see God's faithfulness in keeping his promises to us. Well, the fourth lesson is that it is gratitude which prompts generosity. We oftentimes think of it the other way around, that somebody's generosity towards us prompts gratitude, and that's certainly true. But what I want to think about right now is that generosity has more to do with the heart and less to do with the amount. So I'm not being generous when I pay my taxes, even though that is easily the largest check I write. And, and it is literally a check that I write out. Our government in its infinite wisdom has decided that pastors are self-employed, and so we pay uh, estimated taxes every quarter, including Social Security taxes. And I, I faithfully write out that check every quarter. I don't do it out of gratitude. I don't do it out of a sense of, of generosity. I do it out of obligation. Uh, I want to obey the law, 
And also, I'm a little concerned about what would happen if I don't. Uh, I don't want to receive a letter from the IRS any more than you do. Well, the next biggest payment in our budget goes for our mortgage. Again, that's, that's not a check that's written out of generosity or, or gratitude, but out of obligation by the fact that we agreed to pay that debt when we signed that stack of papers at the credit union. Our third largest expense is motivated by gratitude. It's a matter of the heart. That is our offering to our Lord through St. Lawrence Congregation. Okay, that's a quick run through the, through the outline. Now we're going to go back to the top, as I promised, and flesh that out a little more. So we're back to the idea that rich generosity teaches us how to be content. We all know, don't we, that contented people are, are not the ones who are always striving to have more things, nor are they the ones who are envious of what other people have that they don't. And maybe I shouldn't say they, maybe I should say we sometimes are envious like that and not contented, are we? So where do we find contentment? Well, St. Paul has a suggestion for us in 1 Timothy chapter 6 when he says, if we have food and clothing, with these things we will be content. Now, I don't know if that's a command or if that's a, a statement of fact. I, to me, it's more of a goal. But here's why St. Paul says that that's so important. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. And here's why. For the love of money. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. Well, those verses contain so much that, that challenges what we see and hear all around us that I'm just going to repeat what I said earlier uh, at the beginning of the sermon, that what God tells us in his word is true. How often? Always. Yeah, this is the audience participation part. What God tells us in his word is true always, and what God instructs us to do in his word is for our benefit always. Exactly right. In other words, rich generosity helps us to find contentment as we learn to say, yeah, I have enough. In fact, I have more than enough. I have so much that I can give some of it away. And God wants or contentment for us, not because you get what you get and you don't throw a fit, but because contentment it's such a wonderful thing, a, a marvelous gift that we can both cherish and pursue. Not only does generosity flow out of contentment, it works the other way around as well. Contentment teaches, or generosity teaches us contentment. We've also said that rich generosity uh, teaches us the meaning of, of sacrifice. And as an example of that, let's consider Cain and Abel. Our epistle lesson today says that by faith, Abel offered to God a, a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. But here's how Genesis chapter 4 relates the details of the sacrifices made by both Cain and Abel. First, Cain. He brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. Well, that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? 
Of Abel, we read, Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. You see the difference? You may have to look or, or listen a little more closely, but, but once you become aware of it, it, it sure stands out. And I'm not talking about the fact that, that Cain offered uh, some produce and, and Abel brought livestock. That's a difference. It's not the difference. There, there are two other distinctions that are much more important. Listen again. Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil. Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. We're looking at the words fat and firstborn. Now, a word of explanation here. The, the health police these days have convinced us that fat means bad. So we, we check the fat grams and the packaging of food, and, and we cut or drain fat off meat. Well, in Old Testament times, just the opposite was true. Fat was good. Fat meant best. It, it implied sumptuous, even extravagant. Now, before any doctors or, or dietitians come out of your pews at me, I, let me, let me be quick to say that I know that, that our lifestyles today require that we limit our intake of fat, and, and I'm in total agreement with that. I just want to make sure you know that, the, that Abel's fat portions were the best portions because that points out a big difference between Cain's offering or sacrifice and that of Abel. Cain brought some of his crops. Abel brought some of the best of his livestock. Big difference. Another difference is that word firstborn. By offering his firstborn animals, Abel did two things. He acknowledged that God is the owner of, of everything by not uh, keeping the firstborn for himself. And he demonstrated great trust in God to provide replacement livestock for those he had sacrificed. Abel offered the best and the first, thereby showing his, his love for God and his trust in God. See, sacrifice doesn't simply mean to give something away. Really, it means to give something up. It's not a sacrifice, is it, when you, when you clean out your closet and, and take to goodwill a bag of clothes that you don't wear anymore. Well, that's a very good thing to do. Not a sacrifice. You haven't given, well, you have given something away you have not given up anything. In Ephesians 5, St. Paul reminds us about what sacrifice is, the sacrifice that Jesus made. Christ loved us and gave himself up as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. He gave up his throne in heaven, gave up his very life, and he did it all as an offering. In other words, something that, that he gave, not something anybody took from him. That's the reason we're here today. That's the reason we can come with confidence into the presence of God, even though oftentimes the offering that we bring is, is puny to, indeed by many standards. But, 
It's not the size of the offering that God sees, but the size of our heart, which prompts that offering. A heart that has been washed clean by the blood of Christ, who sacrificed his life for ours. And that's really the only reason, the main reason at least, that that we trust him. It's also the reason we want to trust him more and more. That's lesson number three in your outline. And it's a lesson that we're still learning, isn't it? A lesson that, that all people of all times have needed to learn, including God's Old Testament people. The time of Malachi, for instance. Now, it's probably not really obvious at first, but that passage really is all about trust in God. Well, it starts out with God's people not trusting him enough to to bring the full tithe, the the full 10% that was required in those days, required of God's Old Testament people. Now, we don't know why that was. Why weren't they bringing the full tithe? Maybe they didn't didn't trust God enough to keep his promise to provide for them, or or maybe they didn't trust his assurance that that every instruction that he gives to us is, is for our benefit always. We don't know. But we do understand that lack of trust, don't we? Because we have experienced it. We've lived it. So I want to point out that the most important sentence in the Old Testament lesson is not bring the full tithe, 10%. That's not the most important. The most important is the one that follows, which says thereby, by by bringing the full tithe, God says, put me to the test. If I will not open the windows of heaven and pour down for you a blessing until there's no more need. In other words, trust me. God says, and, and see if together we cannot make 90% together go further than you can make 100% go all on your own. That's talking about trusting God. How blessed we are when, when we are able to trust him more and more, which is really what he wants for us. Remember Jesus' words in the gospel lesson, don't be anxious. That's what generosity teaches us, to trust more and to worry less. And finally, we go back to the lesson about gratitude being what prompts generosity. I'm reminded of something that happened to me several months ago at the uh, McDonald's drive through You know how it uh, splits into two lanes? Drives me nuts, by the way. You know, you, you wait patient. How often does this happen? You're waiting patiently in line, and you're waiting for one or the other of the cars to pull out of one of those kiosks so you can go there and place your order, and, and somebody jumps the line and goes around you. Don't even get me started on, on people who are texting in line, taking forever to, to close the gap between themselves and, and the car in front of them. Oh, sorry. Uh, that's not the point. It did feel pretty good to vent, though. But, but here's what happened. A lady placed her order at one kiosk just after I had placed mine at the other. Now, the reason I beat her to it was because the car in front of her took too long to pull forward. Somebody was texting again, I think. 
But you know, according to the unwritten rules of McDonald's drive-thru, since I had placed my order first, it was, I should go first. You know, I had just gotten out of church, and I thought it wouldn't hurt me to try to be nice once. So I, so I motioned her to go forward. She, uh, she smiled broadly and, and waved at me. I didn't think much more of it until I, I got up to the window to pay for my coffee, and the employee said, oh, the lady in the car in front of you already paid for your order. My small act of kindness prompted gratitude in her, which prompted generosity from her. Now, there's a slightly different dynamic at work with the rich generosity that we show as as God's people. It it was her gratitude to me that prompted her generosity toward me, but that's not the way God wants it from us. Rather, his generosity towards us, no, I'm sorry, our gratitude towards him, prompted by his generosity, let's start over. Our gratitude to God prompts our generosity towards others. That's what he wants. That's what he wants to teach us. And he uses generosity as as one way to teach us. To teach us about his rich generosity toward us and also what our generosity towards others can accomplish. Pastor Kaiser will talk about that next week. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.